other religions in the world welcome back to my seminary life i'm your host brandon knight i know crazy right but yeah there's there's way more religions in the world than just christianity there's several worldviews philosophies just a whole bunch of different ways that people have chose to worship god pursue the uh, heavenly realm spirituality however you want to look at it different ways of engaging the world around us. And so in today's episode, as we continue Apologetics 101, we're going to look at a couple of these. We're going to look at a couple world religions, two that actually are from the United States, that do have a worldwide influence. So let's get started. We're going to start things off here as I drop my phone and hope that I didn't just destroy something. One day, one day, I will be able to do this right without just totally always messing things up. What are the rules? All right. So, yes, we're going to be talking about two religions today. One is technically a sect within Christianity that it's going to lead to a wider conversation both for this week and for next week's episode as well. So that's why I'm choosing to talk about this specific sect. But uh, for starters today, as we get into world religions, going back to an article that I shared a week or so ago from Mama Bear Apologetics, we're going to start things off by talking about Jehovah Witnesses. When it comes to this conversation of world religions and apologetics, as I've talked about here before, sometimes this quickly becomes just a class on evangelism of how these are the five things that you need to know about this other religion in order to try and get them saved. And that is not necessarily the goal of this episode. These two religions, this religion and this sect within Christianity that I want to talk about today, the reason why I want to highlight this is because there is a reality, a very good possibility that you are going to run into somebody who believes this way, or in the case of Jehovah's Witnesses, you might get a knock at your door one day and You need to know how to engage that person. Yes, because we want people to come to know Jesus as Savior. We want people to acknowledge Jesus as their Lord in their life. Yes and amen. But also because you you need to do this tactfully. That's why we're going to have this conversation today. I want you all to engage people with a little bit of tact rather than just, well, you're wrong about this and here's why. 
that makes sense. Because again, even though we are we are very passionately about um, leading people to Jesus, getting them discipled, getting them into a church, as much as we all want that type of stuff to happen, it, you got to remember, like religion, even if you don't agree with it, is a very personal thing to that particular person and the reason why that jehovah witness is knocking at your door is because of religious reasons and so we need to handle this situation with tact anytime the world starts to you know get on our case ever so slightly about something related to our faith we want to cry foul and we're under persecution and all the all that stuff because like i said two weeks ago now, I, I truly believe that evangelicals love to feel persecuted. Because, to be fair, religious beliefs are very personal to a person. And so, if you, American, living in a country where you have freedom of religion, if you want to be treated with with respect, with individuality, that this is your religion and you can practice it if you want to because you have that freedom to do it, Okay, but you also need to express that same type of sentiment to people who, of other religions. And one really good way to do that is by actually understanding what other people believe. We're not going to be able to get to all of them. Like I said, we got two that we're talking about today. Not Hindu, not Muslim, not... Zoroastrianism, which is something that people really like to talk about in apologetics, and I don't quite understand why, but whatever. Um, this is coming from the guy who likes talking about cults, so, you know, to each their own, I guess. But in this, in this episode, as we focus on Jehovah Witnesses and our other religion here in a minute, the point is to better understand a different group so that way we can engage them with a little bit of tact and not just sound ignorant or possibly scare them off. And now you don't have an opportunity to witness to them, disciple them, whatever the case may be, because you scared them off. Because as we're going to look at here in a moment with Jehovah's Witnesses, that's actually part of the gig is they can have your house blacklisted. So let's talk about it. Jehovah's Witnesses, those people who knock on your door and want to talk about their faith and give you a magazine called The Watchtower. What is this? What is all of these things? What do these words mean? We know the word Jehovah. We have that word. Are they like us? Not so much, but here we go. Jehovah's Witnesses. All right. Um... It's an it's Gnostic in belief and legalistic in practice. If you just want like the one sentence summary on what we're dealing with here, it's Gnostic in belief, which means that it's very much focused on the spiritual and legalistic in practice. So I think you know, Christian, the average Christian is going to be a little bit more familiar with this concept of legalism, having to follow a lot of rules in order to be holy. But that is Jehovah's Witnesses in a sentence. Belief is a, 
Gnostic and legalistic in practice. Focused on the end times, which you don't necessarily get from the name alone, but it's very much end times focus. End time predictions is a big deal within the Jehovah's Witnesses. It's as we t- got to look at here in a moment, it's how it got their start. Um, the coming of Armageddon and um, bringing Jehovah's kingdom are all the... Uh, they're like the th- the main parts of this religion. It's very end time focus and bringing about Jehovah's kingdom here on our earth. Charles Taze Russell, uh, he was grew up Presbyterian, but was influenced by Ad- Adventist teachings. He started an organization called Watchtower and left the group. <laughs> Oh, sorry. He didn't. He started a magazine. Sorry, Watchtower is a magazine. So this guy, uh, Taze. Sorry, that's his middle name, Russell. Uh, Charles Russell. Uh, Charles Taze Russell. I want to like his name is not in the right order. Mister Russell grew up Presbyterian, but kind of got into this whole Adventist teachings, and was supportive of their ministry, but eventually started his own spin-off magazine from their teachings called The Watchtower. Ooh. Okay. And he left the group. He left the Adventist church and uh, started his own group, initially called Bible Students. Uh, this is all, all taking place right around 1874. So by all accounts, not that long ago. If you think in 1974 would have been 100 years. So you had another 50. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, like it's it's been like 150 years. We're talking about something that's been around for about 150 years now. If that math, did I do that math right? I really hope so. It's late at night. I'm not good at math. Um, so yeah, so Russell's, Mr. Russell leaves the Adventist group, starts his own magazine, starts his own group, initially called Bible Student Students, which sounds like a very basic like youth group thing. But no, that was his whole church movement was called Bible Students. Uh, the name was changed to Jehovah Witnesses in 1931. So a good while later was at 60 years, 50-ish and change. Uh, years later, it goes from this very generic title to this more um, specific idea of Jehovah's Witnesses. After a, f- a failed prediction of Christ's return in 1975, 130 thousand people left the church so in, in apparently in 1975 it was predicted that jehovah was going to return and to set up his kingdom and obviously it did not happen and it caused quite the um downfall for this group obviously they did not go away because still to this day you may get a knockity knock knock at your door from a jehovah's witness but a hundred thousand people fell away from the church after christ did not return in 1975 so that shows you to me that does speak a little bit of the maybe fragility of the group the fragility of 
the people believing. However, if your whole faith is based around this idea of someday Jesus is going to come back and we need to be ready for it and we need to bring Jehovah's kingdom to the earth, then yeah, I could, I could see how this is the one thing you've been building towards now for, well, let's see here that 19, let's see if the group started in 1874. So a hundred years, this is a hundred years in the making for this one specific group for this to happen 2000 years, give or take, um, for all of Christianity and it doesn't happen. And so huge turn down turn. Yeah. Here turnover. That's what I'm looking for. Her huge turnover within the church. Uh, the leaders then instituted a shunning and isolation policy against, uh, quote, apostates. Um, so this is this is an important thing to keep track of. So as people are leaving the church, the leadership invokes this shunning practice and isolating family members from that are leaving or friends from uh, isolating people who are still within the church away from people who are now labeled as apostates who are leaving the church. First off, that is not a form of biblical discipline. I guess, yeah, like the point of biblical discipline is, well, I guess I really shouldn't even get into biblical discipline because as we're going to talk about here in a second, the Bible does play a role in the Jehovah's Witnesses' life, but it's it's different. Um, but this idea of shunning and specifically the isolation part is a big red flag, particularly when you get into the conversation of cults, okay? I am divided on whether or not Jehovah Witnesses are a religion or a cult, is it just a religion or is it a cult? This part, this very specific part of the shunning and isolation stuff, that speaks to me a little bit more of cultish, cult-like, because that is something you see a lot in cults. Particularly, I would say Scientology may be the biggest, um, the biggest per, uh offender of this practice but the idea but hey even the amish have like a whole shunning policy as well so maybe maybe it's not necessarily a mark of a cult but it is it is worth noting so since 2000 since the year 2000 jehovah witnesses have grown oh they have grown good for them 25 years later they started growing again cool uh at a fast rate outside of the u.s okay so um they they've they've gotten more missionally missionally minded uh as there's been rapid growth within the church since that great fallout uh internationally at least uh I don't know. Again, this book came out in 2008, and I did not have time to see if this is still true 20 year, 24 years, 23. It's a long, it's been a long week. 
<laughs> as you are listening to this, if you listen to this episode when it comes out, I'm graduating, like literally walking across the stage to get my diploma. It's been a long week. Anyway, 23 years later, I don't know if these numbers are still true that there's been global growth within the Jehovah Witness Church, but at least as of 2000, that was the case. What do Jehovah Witnesses believe? <laughs> we got a nice little history lesson here. What does it mean to be a Jehovah Witness? To be a Jehovah Witness, you must believe that God is Almighty Jehovah. Okay? Cool. So far, so good. Jesus is not God. Okay, and that's where the rug gets pulled out from underneath us. Uh, he did not rise again, and actually, Jesus is Michael the Archangel. Mind freak. <laughs> Jesus is the Archangel Michael, not the Son of God, not divine, did not rise from the grave. So, we are not dealing with Christians, okay? You have to at least affirm the doctrine of the deity of Jesus Christ. You have to at least get that part right in order for us to, like, to agree even ever so slightly. So, we are not dealing with Christians here, okay? And again, this is why I look at this more like a separate religion rather than a sect of Christianity. Like this is just like another group over here. Like no, these they may call themselves Christians, but they, they do not affirm that Jesus is God. So we we do not we do not we are not on the same team here. Let me just put it that way. The Holy Spirit is a force, uh, a, power, a power of God. So, again, uh, essentially, you have an outright denial of the Trinity. You know, you have God, Jehovah Almighty, and then Jesus, Michael, the Archangel, Archangel, Angel, 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 that guy. And you have Holy Spirit the force of God or something like that. Therefore, the Trinity is a lie of Satan. Actually, it's not that it doesn't exist for they see us, those who affirm the Trinity as someone who has bought into, you know, a lie from Satan. That's a bummer. The church age is done. Okay. Okay. The church age is done, and we are uh, in the we are living in the kingdom. Ooh, okay, interesting, interesting. And the era of human government is over. Well, that's interesting. I think a lot of people need to get caught up on that idea if that's the case. Uh, the era of human of human government is over, so they do not pledge allegiance, stand for national anthems, etc., etc. So by way of Christian nationalism, at least they're doing that part, right? 
right? So, okay, points points for that. Depending on how strongly you feel about um, Christian nationalism, maybe you can kind of vibe with Jehovah Jehovah Witnesses on that part. Uh, the 144,000, this is something that has been slightly updated, slightly updated since the, uh, publication of this book is that the 144,000, which it comes up in revelation and seems to be speaking to, uh, a large group of Jewish believers who come to know, uh, who come to acknowledge Christ as Lord and Savior in the end times, okay? So they think that's them, or at least that was the early group of Jehovah's Witnesses followers. Um, There's like a second class now, because essentially Jehovah's Witnesses didn't think that they would still be here. Obviously, 1975, this was all supposed to be over, right? So there. since then, since the church has grown so much, there's like a second class of followers of Jehovah who are not part of the 144,000. That's a specific inner group. And then you have like this secondary group of believers as well because Christ has still not return uh there's no hell cool that that's cool um salvation is by works and by adhering to the watchtower and that's the part where uh i that's the part that i was alluding to earlier that yes they they studied the bible and they clearly have very unique takes on the bible but the watchtower magazine is held to equal if not greater standing for them uh in their beliefs so you have to keep that in mind as well that you could be quoting the bible to them but the watchtower is going to be what is dictating their thoughts more now we have some general ideas there's much more to the jehovah witnesses Uh, there's plenty of other things that they believe but that's baseline some differences some significant differences that we need to be aware of how should we then engage them when they knock 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 at the door so uh, I will now briefly summarize what was written about in this article I shared from Mama Bear Apologetics a few weeks ago, if you missed it. About, they, they interviewed a woman who was a Jehovah Witness, came to acknowledge Jesus as Lord and Savior, and was interviewing her on like, okay, so what should you do? And the thing that you should not do, at least early on, is not be confrontational. If you don't want them to come back, if you just want to scare them off, hit them with the Trinity right up front. Because they do have, she she talks about in this article, they actually have a policy that there are certain triggers, essentially, that if the person at the door responds with X, Y, or Z, particularly the Trinity was like the big teaching that she kept highlighting. Um, 
that your house will then be blacklisted and nobody will come by for a very long time. It sounds like there's not like some hard and fast like time frame or that you will forever be blacklisted, but they see themselves as the teacher. They are there to enlighten you and to bring you to acknowledging Jehovah's Jehovah and his kingdom. Okay. So that's how they see themselves in this moment. They are, they are the teachers, not you. So if you want them to go away, hit them, hit them with John 14, six, hit them with the deity of Jesus, hit them with the personal, uh, the passages of scripture also in John 14 that talk about the Holy spirit as a personal being talk about uh, the Trinity, you know, They'll, they'll stop coming. If you actually want to try and get some groundwork, you have to engage them. In, in a way, you have to play along, okay? Take the watchtower and flip through it. Again, like I said all the way back at the beginning of this 20-something minutes ago, a big part of, a big part of this is, of engaging other religions, other worldviews, other philosophies is to kind of understand what they're believing and what they're talking about. And so a really good way to do that is to not just listen to me, give you some basic information about them, but to also like read their information. So take a, take a copy of the watchtower, flip through it, maybe make some notes. Cause obviously if you engage them well, they're going to come back and they're going to want to talk more. So make some notes, ask questions. Again, their mindset is that they're the teacher. So don't ask gotcha questions like you're trying to corner them into the Trinity conversation, but you know, get their perspective on things. Ask very open-ended questions. You know what I'm saying? It's almost like the goal here isn't to berate them with the Bible to get them saved, but to make a connection with them like we're supposed to be doing anyway about how we're supposed to like, you know, live in relationship with one another so that way we can better minister to one another. It's kind of like it's kind of like that. Huh. Maybe this is just the way that things work and it's just a good idea to treat people like humans and talk to them and get to know them. And in time, as you spend more time with the Jehovah's Witness and ask questions and, hey, maybe even invite them over to dinner if they're that cool about it, then in time you can start addressing some of these weightier questions. And who knows? This might be an opportunity for you to, you know, God may have put these people in your life so that way you can start planting the seeds or reaping seeds that were planted by someone else. Who knows? But like I said, if you just want to get rid of them, hit them with John 14, 6, hit them with, you know, the Trinity or just don't answer the door and hide out. Because let's face it, all of us have at least done that once where the knock comes at the door and we all just kind of like get really quiet and hope that they just go away. Okay, so that's Jehovah Witnesses. I hope you feel more enlightened about Jehovah Witnesses now. Batting second in this uh, two 
to religion conversation, we're going to talk about Adventus. Now, I know what you're thinking. Brandon, really? Adventist? With, with all the religions in the world, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, Shintoism, Taoism, Paganism, the, with all the isms out there, with all the philosophical worldviews out there, you, you, you're going with Adv- Adventist? Not even Mormons. You're, you're going with Adventist? Why would you even do that? They're like the, the ones that we just forget about. And that's exactly why we're going to talk about the Adventist. Because they are often frequently forgotten about. I don't know who's forgotten about more, them or the Orthodox Church. It's a pretty close race, if you ask me. But we're going to talk specifically about the Adventist Church today, because this is a sect of Christianity that does get overlooked a lot, a lot. But trust me, folks, you need to know the history of the Adventist. You need to know this, okay? Because as we just mentioned a moment ago, if you rewind about eh, 10, 15 minutes ago, I said that Jehovah Witnesses, what was that? They, their founder comes from an Adventist background. Well, that's interesting. This group that we often forget about who claim to be Christians, that their teachings inspired in part the Jehovah Witnesses. Not only does that do does that inspire the Jehovah Witnesses, if you are if, you might be more familiar if Adventist doesn't sound familiar, you may be more familiar with Seventh-day Adventist, maybe you've heard that phrase before. Okay, that's like the biggest group within this church. That's like the biggest subsect within this sect of Christianity. And if you follow the very complicated church history of the Seventh-day Adventists and the Adventist church as a whole, you eventually get to the Branch Davidians led by David Koresh, who believed that he was Jesus and led the 51-day standoff against the American government in Waco, Texas in 1993. That comes from the Adventist church. And not only does that come from the Adventist church, that provided the um, motive, one of the motives for the Oklahoma City bombing in 1995. Yes, how the American government treated, little known fact, how the American government absolutely botched the Waco situation. You ever want a textbook, a case study in how bad communication can destroy everything. How the the U.S. government absolutely botched handling the Waco situation in 1993 gave the alibi, or not the alibi, excuse me, the motive, gave the motive for the Oklahoma City bombing in 1995. All of this from the sect of Christianity that we kind of brush aside I really think we need to take a moment to understand who these people are and at least know who to blame for all of this. 
So, let's get into it. Who are the Adventist Church? Uh, this was born out of the teachings of Baptist minister William Miller. Baptist minister William Miller. That's the guy that we all get to blame. So, <laughs> William Miller. Uh, what? What? What was he? What was he doing? What was he doing? Well. I'm glad you asked. He was trying to predict Christ's return. What is with people? Okay, here's here's the big takeaway from today's episode. You want a practical application of today's episode? Stop trying to predict the return of Jesus. Stop trying to pick a date for when Jesus is coming back. That's the practical application of this of this lesson. Because if you do of this podcast episode, because if you do that, you're going to create several cults and several religions and possibly a mass murder okay stop just stop is it it starts to make the whole just getting egg on your face for predicting wrong look really not that bad compared to what else could happen the what if scenarios okay just imagine the what if scenarios if this never happened anyway so William Miller predicted the return of Christ in 1843. That is, Christ is coming back in 1843. Uh, this is all based on his interpretation of Daniel 8.14. And for those of you playing along at home, Daniel 8.14 says, The other replied, It will take 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the temple will be made right again. Okay. And basically, he takes this idea of evening and mornings of years okay those are like individual years so he added up the years and it came to 19 or excuse me 1843 cool sounds great buddy uh, jesus is coming to cleanse the earth uh he says all they had to do was to be ready they had to be ready so people started selling everything that they owned and started staring into the sky and all that type of stuff um uh of course he didn't come back in 1843 um his group was called the millerites at first uh later they were called the adventist but early on those who followed his teachings were called millerites uh after the day came and went <laughs> Stop predicting these things. He realized he miscalculated. He took a certain uh, festival out of consideration. And when he added this festival into his calculations, his complicated um, math problem, I picture that meme of the guy with all of the like pictures on the wall and the strings all connected. And he's like on the phone or something. And, terrible description of a meme but i you know what i'm talking about uh so after he did all of the new math he realized it wasn't 1843 it was 1844 uh, missed it by that much so uh, again everyone sold everything that they had sat around waited for the return it didn't happen and this caused the great disappointment which is also a greatly disappointing name for an event um this 
the great disappointment swept over his followers. So similar to the Jehovah Witnesses in 1975, when Christ did not return, um, when he was wrong for a second time, there was a huge fallout within his group of Millerites. They all turned and said, enough of this, on to something else now. Thank you. Uh, The next leader uh, was a converted Methodist minister, uh, Hiram Edson, and he said that, oh, actually, uh, fun fact, Jesus did return in 1844. What? Yeah, he did. Uh, (laughs) He moved from the right hand of the Father to the most holy place in the temple, in the heavenly temple, excuse me. Okay. Um, the next leader after him, Ellen Gold White, had a vision. And in this vision, uh, this was a vision from God, where she was told that the the church needed to um, begin observing the Sabbath day and that they had to start keeping the dietary laws in the book of Leviticus, the Levitical dietary laws. And in 1863, in Battle Creek, Michigan, her and her followers uh, split and formed the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And so that's how you get this whole, that's what the Seventh-day part uh, refers to. It is talking about the uh, adherence to keeping the Sabbath day. Let me clarify something now, because if you do recall, back in January, we did an entire series where I talked about why it's a good idea to observe the Sabbath day. Please remember that throughout that series, I was advocating for keeping the seventh, the Sabbath day as a spiritual discipline, not as a religious thing that you have to do. You have the freedom to not to do it. Although I do think there is biblical evidence that shows that this is still a practice that we can choose to do. Okay. Whereas within the Seventh-day Adventist church, this is an expectation that you keep the Sabbath day and that you keep it on Saturday. I did. I even said you didn't have to keep it on Saturday. So please don't accuse me of being like a horrible person. I mean, I guess you can if you want. You wouldn't be the first one. The Seventh-day Adventist um, would split and have power struggles uh, for several years. Uh, The Seventh-day Adventist Church, okay? So you have the Adventist Church up here, right? And then it splits, and you have the Seventh-day Adventist, and then there's like two or three more splits, and there's power struggles, and eventually one of those splits causes the Branch Davidians. And as I mentioned earlier, the Branch Davidians was led by a man named David Koresh, who believed he was Jesus. And there's actually, like, there are, there were, I should say, some strange coincidences, resemblances to Christ. He was in his early 30s when the shootout with the FBI occurred. He was wounded in his side and in one of his hands. Like, there were some weird, ironic parallels. But he also was just a horrible human being. So, um, I mean, I shouldn't speak evil of the dead, but he was not a great person. Um, And as I said, if you are unaware, there is 
eventually the reason why there was this big shootout with the government and standoff with them is because Korish taught his followers that he was going to lead them in the battle of Armageddon and that this was going to take place against the government. And so they began hoarding and illegally modifying weapons and ammunition. And eventually the government found out about this. And if, again, like I said, if you want a case study in the dangers of bad communication, yeah, you read about, watch about Waco and just how the government really did just mess up a lot in the negotiation process. And like I said, eventually, um, in the end with the Waco situation, although there were a few survivors, um, when the government finally did raid the church, the church compound facility uh the the facility caught on fire Korish and a number of the followers died in the process and the this gave all of this mishandling of the situation gave the inspiration um motivation i keep saying the wrong word the motivation for the oklahoma city bomber in 1995 so all of this because some Baptist minister thought that he knew when Christ was coming back. Again, if there's anything to take away from this, it is stop trying to predict when Jesus is coming back. Okay. Yeah. The Bible talks about watching and waiting and being prepared, but seriously, stop trying to pick a day and a time y'all like this. (laughs) This has serious ramifications. Stop it. Stop picking. Obviously, you should engage people well to pay attention to all that stuff I talked about earlier, but also stop trying to predict when Jesus is coming back. Thank you. Anyway, so the Seventh-day Adventists, uh, the Adventists, Seventh-day Adventists, um, have different beliefs, but still affirm the deity of Jesus. Okay. One big question that comes up as you talk about the Adventist church as a whole and all of its complicated church history is, is that, is it a cult? Is the Adventist church a cult? Now, next week on the show, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about what is a cult. We're going to try and answer that question of what is a cult, because I do think, and I'll talk about this more next week. I do think sometimes we can be a little flippant with the use of the word cult and just slap it on everything that just doesn't seem to match up with what we think should be right. Like I've, I have heard with my own ears, people describe the Catholic church as a cult. And I don't think that's the right use of the word. Like I said, I'm a little hesitant to call Jehovah witnesses a cult and more of it like a separate religion, but we're going to address this more next week. But this is a question that comes up when it comes to the Adventist church and the Seventh-day Adventists and the Branch Davidians and all the other subsects within it of like, are these people a part of a cult? And the when it comes specifically to the Branch Davidian part, yes, that is, was, and still is actually a cult. There are still Branch Davidians out there actually after the whole Waco situation, there was like two or three groups that split off from that, that were all trying to claim that they were like the next 
the next part of like the true branch within the branch Davidians. It was, it again, you want to read like the most complicated, complicated church history and keep in mind 1844 to 1995 is not that long of a time. There's a lot of splits anyway. So when it comes to the branch Davidians, We'll talk about this more next week, but yeah, they're a cult. But when it comes to the Adventists and the Seventh-day Adventists, it is hard to affirm them, those parts, as a cult. Because with key, most importantly, they do affirm the deity of Jesus and the Trinity. They do, like, this is... That is a central part of the Christian faith, particularly the most central part, the deity of Jesus. Like that is a very significant part of all of this. So for what it's worth, when it comes specifically to the Adventists and the Seventh-day Adventists, we would see them as Christians. Like I said earlier, as, and as you can tell, there are some differences, specifically looking at the Seventh-day Adventists, the necessary adherence to the Sabbath day, keeping Levitical dietary laws. Also, if you kind of picked up along the way, prophecy and visions is a big part of their faith and their denomination as well. So there are some differences from your standard... Um, your standard Christian denominations, I guess you could say. Other differences, they, uh, other differences uh, include, did I not write any of these down? Oh, well, specifically when it comes to the Seventh-day Adventists, they are annihilationists, which you don't have to go that, like there are church fathers who also believe in annihilation of the soul uh, as the final death. So like, I don't know. There, there are differences. Obviously, when you get to like Branch Davidians, there's several differences. Like David Koresh's Jesus and the remaining followers believe that he's going to rise again because he did it once already. Um, so there is that. But when it comes to the when it comes to the Adventists and the Seventh Day Adventists, the authors of the book leave it at this and it kind of feels like they're splitting hairs when it comes to this because they say not a cult evangelical christians can be cautiously embracing of people who are a part of this church who claim to be followers of jesus but not a cult but cultic and that sounds like they're splitting hairs, but essentially what that means is that, again, we'll talk more about what it is, what a cult is next week, so the, that'll help a little bit. But when it comes to this cultic part, it means that you can um, still be identifying as a Christian, believing in Christ as your Savior, but still being a part of a group where... Uh, your spiritual your spiritual way of life of piety and allegiance is super important and when it comes what i mean by allegiance isn't your allegiance to god but your allegiance to the church and if you 
don't keep up with your personal piety, like observing the Sabbath day. And if you begin to question your allegiance to the church, then you're like, you know, you're getting in hot water with God almighty. Okay. So that's where like the, you're not a cult because for all intents and purposes, most of your faith aligns with, you know, speaking of like the groups I'm a part of, like the more conservative evangelical world, like I guess some most conservatives would kind of not be okay with the whole prophecy thing. But the majority of your beliefs, particularly those surrounding the deity of Jesus and the Trinity are square. So cool. We'll, we'll invite you. We'll have fellowship with you. There are some other things where like, I'm not sure about that. And the way that they operate is that their personal piety and their allegiance to the church is so significant that if you begin to slip up, you, you may be incurring the wrath of God upon you. Now, again, that does sound like we're splitting hairs a little bit. Like, is it a cult? Is it not a cult? Is it a sect of Christianity? Is it an own religion? But I also can relate a little bit. I can at least track with them a little bit because I am in an area where there is a very large independent fundamental Baptist church, elementary school, middle school, high school, college. They're all associated with this church. Huge out here, at least. I don't know if any of these, if I started name dropping, I don't know if it would actually like mean anything to other people around the world, but, um, in they are, like I said, independent fundamental Baptists. I have known a number of people who have been either attending the church, went to the high school, went to the college, all of the above, whatever. And as far as I can tell, they say they're a Christian. And based off of their fruit, I would say, okay, yeah, I, I believe you. I, I, I agree. <laughs> like, sometimes I don't know how to respond. Um, but like by their fruit and by their testimony, like, yeah, you, you are a Christian. But, you know, when I say independent fundamental Baptist, certain images may come to mind. And I just want you to know they're accurate of the women are not expected, but required to wear skirts, long skirts. The men are required to have these very short haircuts. You know that joke that we really we really shouldn't make this joke anymore but you know that joke about how some women go to bible college to get their mrs degree you know that joke okay literally this college has a marriage and motherhood degree where you learn how to do very stereotypical women tasks and be a good mom and be a good wife like there's there's literally a a class about crock crock pot cooking like these are real things um, no, this is not where I went to seminary. Um, <laughs> anyway, so I can, I, I understand where this idea of, yeah, you're not a cult, but there's also something very off about this. And I don't know. I don't, the point is of bringing all of this up is to help help sell the idea of, yeah, you can be a part of a very specific denomination and be a Christian, be a believer in Jesus. And maybe you have some odd, unique 
um, things that you believe, but how the, it's almost more so how the people are organized, how the group is organized and how the followers respond to that and the cult of personality of the leaders involved that, yeah, there's something, there's something off about all of this. So if you meet a Seventh-day Adventist or an Adventist or also an independent fundamental Baptist, the advice there is proceed with caution. Embrace them as a follow, as a brother or sister of Christ, but also be aware that there's going to be some very stark differences. And so you need to, again, like we talked about Jehovah Witnesses, be open to questions, <laughs> be open-minded, ask questions, and don't be a jerk. So yes, I know there's so many other religions that we could have talked about, but because because we did the Jehovah Witnesses and next week we're going to talk about cult, I was like, we, we really should talk about the Adventists. They get, they get left out so much. We should, we should spend some time with them. And now we have. So thank you for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed it, please leave a review on whatever platform you're listening to, particularly Apple or Spotify. Please do that. And if you already have, thanks. And feel free to write a review on the MSL Facebook page. That's a thing you can do. And if you haven't already, hit the like button there or the follow button over on Instagram as well. You can always head down to the description of this episode to find links to the MSL shop, website, whatever. And if you ever have a question, comment, or complaint, you can send it to me at emailseminarylife at gmail.com. Again, that's emailseminarylife at gmail.com. I already told you what's coming up next week, so I'm not going to say it again. Uh, May 22nd is our next live stream hangout on Facebook. Hit the There's an event page thing on the Facebook page thing so hit the interested so i know you're coming and let me know what should i talk about i need ideas next week is the every tribe denomination and tongue convention so you can be on the lookout on facebook for and instagram for updates and you you can be jealous that you didn't get to go but hey you should check out their virtual option because i heard it's like pay what you can now so like free is an option. So check that out. Um, I think that's it. I really want it to be cause I'm tired and got to drive two hours tomorrow. Okay. Let's wrap this up. Thank you all for listening again. We'll be back next week to talk about cults. And until next time, this is Brandon signing off. Remind you as always that theology is for everyone. So keep on studying.